Good morning. An awards chapel at Asbury Theological Seminary is an odd occasion. On the one hand, Asbury is like any other academic institution during commencement season. We gather here today to honor and celebrate individual achievements and giftedness. And we say today, congratulations to those of you who will be feted today in these few moments. But on the other hand, Asbury is nothing like most of those institutions of higher education. As our mission statement says, Asbury is a community called to prepare theologically educated, sanctified, spirit-filled men and women to evangelize, I should not have to look at my notes to give you this, should I? I should be able to, <laughs> to evangelize and to spread scriptural holiness throughout the world through the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of God the Father. We are a community called. And as a community called, we really are unique, unlike almost any other institution of higher education. And so even this morning, while we celebrate individual accomplishments, we do so in a worship space, our beloved Estes Chapel, in something very much like a worship service. This is very much like a homily. By doing so, we recognize that we're not celebrating just individual giftedness, but we're recognizing today that God has invested these gifts and graces for ministry in those individuals that we recognize. At the same time, we are reminding everyone in our community called that it isn't really these gifts and graces that matter so much as first, the way in which these gifts and graces are used in the edification and benefit of the entire community. And secondly, the character we hope to see built up in all of us as a community because of those gifts and graces. When I think of Ezra and the text that Ruth Ann so bravely read today with all of those wonderful names, I'm always reminded of the occasion that my church, when I was a pastor, celebrated the degree I was receiving when I was putting the finishing touches on a doctorate in biblical studies. I was also the pastor of a congregation. They were so proud. They'd never had a, a, a doctor of biblical studies as their pastor, and so they wanted to have a reception. And they did. They had a wonderful reception in our church fellowship hall, and everybody came. And it was typical church receptions. You've all been to them. Except my little four-year-old son was running around the whole time telling everybody, oh, he's not the kind of doctor who can help anybody. <laughs> and he wasn't finished. He's not the kind of doctor who can help anybody. He's a book doctor. <laughs> now that has stayed with me over the years, over the decades now, as I've asked myself, what kind of doctor am I? I know what he meant, my little four-year-old David, and my people in my church knew what he meant. 
But it raises the question, doesn't it? What kind of doctor will I be? I meet scores of people in biblical studies who are book doctors, brilliantly using their giftedness to become book doctors. But some of them are not the kind of doctors who can help anybody. Seminarians, most of you who are finishing next week are earning a master's degree of some sort. And so I'll ask you, what kind of master will you be? Ezra was the kind of bookmaster who helped people. When we think of Ezra in the text that you heard, we are reminded that the Bible lifts characters off of its pages as a paradigm for our lives to emphasize not how brilliant Ezra was or how gifted he was, but in fact, that the good, gracious hand of his God was upon him. In verse 6, we are told, in fact, that he was a skilled scribe, a sofer mahir, a skilled scribe. For those of you who have your Hebrews open, I know there's scores of you, your Hebrew texts. The sofer mahir, mahir is that term which probably is also related to someone who's really quick or fast. Ezra was that student that you can say it to once, Fred, and they've got it. He was that quick student who heard it one time and he had it. He was a quick scribe. If you're a scribe of the Torah, speed and accuracy are critical. So we know that Ezra was a gifted scribe. But that's what makes this text so interesting because the text isn't celebrating his giftedness itself. These gifts and these graces that Ezra showed and displayed in our narrative, this is not the central message of this text. The message becomes very crystal clear through, as usual, recurrence of causation. Now I'm drawing on your IBS methodology. And so through recurrence of causation, we keep hearing in chapter 7 and chapter 8 over and over again, for the good hand of his God was upon him. And that expression, the good hand of Ezra's God was upon him, is used to illustrate the protection of Ezra as he traveled five months across a very treacherous road and provisions along the journey and for his ministry and encouragement and strength. The good hand of Ezra's God was upon him to encourage him and empower and strengthen him for the task. Indeed, as Moses was Israel's lawgiver, Ezra was Israel's law keeper. But ultimately, even that great ministry was not about his skills or his giftedness. It's all about the good and gracious hand of God upon him and upon you. Without that, your skills are impressive, but that's all they are. They are not in itself, in themselves, effective ministry. Then in verse 10, it gives us very clearly the reason God's hand was upon Ezra. The causal relationship between verses 9 and 10 marked very clearly in the text with that little important word, key. And yes, for you Hebrew students, I am going to say this. Whenever a key begins a verse like verse 10, it probably provides the key that unlocks the significance of the text. For, really, in verse 10, it's because Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and Israel and ordinances in Israel. 
the presence of God's hand upon Ezra was really only a byproduct of something else, of something else going on inside Ezra, of his commitment to serve God through Torah instruction. This portrait of Ezra is a model for us this morning to demonstrate that all of us must be willing to embrace the fact that the work of the kingdom is not about me. It's not about building a great ministry. It's about giving myself to something bigger than me, something outside of me, and throwing myself into a grand idea and purpose that is not of my own design or my own execution. Ezra set his heart on something else. Now, in this setting, I don't need to remind you that heart is the location of determination and will. So Ezra fixed his heart, and that implies that he was disciplined, determined, through initiative and persistence, he was devoted to the Torah of God. This is not a gift of God. This is no natural endowment that Sally and Jack had, but Frank and Jennifer don't have. This is an active decision that sets one's course in life. It's a commitment that overrides and overrules lesser commitments and determines how you'll invest your life for God's kingdom. And the verb, that verb in verse 10, Ezra set his heart. Translations say prepared his heart, devoted himself. This is the causative of the word to establish or secure. Ezra had a fixation. He had a healthy fixation. His healthy fixation was on the Torah. He was devoted. He was uncompromising. He was devoted to something outside of himself. And the verse goes on to say that he had, his fixation was devoted to three things. Notice the infinitive's construct in that verse as verbal complements. Sorry, it's an occupational hazard. Some of you are in my Samuel class, so you're used to this. The infinitive's construct, I see you out there. <laughs> the infinitive's construct are clearly telling us the three things to which Ezra committed himself. One, the study of the Torah of the Lord, to do the Torah of the Lord, and to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now the word study is to seek or to inquire the law of Yahweh. This is an active determination to learn the word of God. This is, after all, as all of you must certainly know, the fundamental meaning of disciples. As learners, as students, as pupils of the rabbis, and as the great rabbi himself asserted, our task is to come to him and learn of him. It seems almost trite to say this in the hallowed halls of a distinguished seminary, but this text drives me to it. A call to ministry is a call to prepare for ministry, and a call to prepare for ministry is a call to study. All the great figures of church history who have been used mightily of God were first prepared and only, not only in their heart devotion, but in their willingness to love God with their minds. Whether we want to illuminate this point with Augustine or Calvin or Luther, these were individuals not simply of great intellect, but of rigorous training and preparation. But now for my obligatory Wesley quote. Wesley himself referred to himself more than once as a man of one book. But the most significant occurrence of this phrase is in his writings in the preface to his sermons. 
I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it here. Here is knowledge enough for me. I want to be homo unius libri, a man of one book. Whatever we are about here at Asbury, we ought to be devoting ourselves to the study of the Torah of the Lord. Now, please understand, I'm not referring to biblical studies as a discipline, nor even to biblical studies plus theology, philosophy, and church history. We have set our curriculum around the Torah of the Lord, the truth of God, as it plays out in all the disciplines of a theological seminary. Christian education, pastoral counseling, ethics, spiritual formation, leadership. I started not to start this list because if I look out, I'm going to leave somebody out. Sorry, faculty, if I left you out of the list. But everything we do is centered around the truth of God. And so we as an institution are committed to the study of the truth of God as it relates to the world around us. And as we're called to proclaim that truth to a broken world. For that reason, I've always thought it was somehow appropriate, maybe even providential, that here at Asbury on the Wilmore campus, our chapel and our library are side by side, front and center on our campus. This room is where we worship corporately together as a community. But over there next door, in the library, which now I have to admit, I need to take as a symbol for every classroom on our campus and every study space and every study carol where you do your work. That's where we worship God individually. And that's where we work hardest and best at loving God with our minds. And dare I add this, that's our primary objective as a theological seminary. We're devoted to study the truth of God and the better we study that truth in the library, the more acceptable to God will be our worship of God in this room. The more effective will be our ministry of service to the lost, the poor, the downtrodden in the world around us. Perhaps it's more geometrically precise to say the Wesley Quad with our wonderful statue of that man of such small stature a statue so ornately and creatively decorated at times, but always tastefully, well, nearly always tastefully decorated. And now Charles Wesley has been decorated as well on May 4th. <laughs> but the Wesley Quad reminds us that the genius of Wesley was not his intellectual brilliance, nor his fervor in evangelism, but rather the combination of the Aldersgate heart with the Oxford mind. Asbury, don't ever lose sight of acquiring an Oxford-like determination to love God with your mind. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. So, what of your giftedness? Some of you in a few moments will come up on this stage and we will celebrate you and we will give you gifts. 
and we really will congratulate you. We celebrate that God has gifted you in some particular way during your studies while you've been here. But remember, we do it in a worshiping community, giving thanks to God for blessing you and for blessing all of us in this community called to serve together with you. And in response to your giftedness, we as a community recommit ourselves to the study of God, of God's holy word, and to renewed heart fixation to live Torah before the world in service to the poor, the lost, and the dying. Will you pray with me? Lord, we lift your holy name on high this morning. We are grateful for, your ta for the talents, for the gifts and graces that you have lavished upon us. It is an honor and sometimes a terrifying privilege to serve you and your people. We offer you our gifts and graces for ministry this morning. We place them on an altar for your use and disposal. Only we pray, keep us faithful. We are above all honored by your presence in this room. This morning and throughout our day, we pray your spirit will prevail in our lives and work. Rule and overrule. Make your name great in our midst. Keep your good hand upon us as we recommit ourselves to study, to holy living, and to teaching your ways. Teach us to despise those moments when we succumb to our old and worn out habits of looking for shortcuts to your grace, of despising your word or your people. Teach us the peace of finding significance in our lives with you while also enjoying the work you've put in our hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.